Welcome to Anxiety and the Artist, the podcast that explores artist's relationship with anxiety, offering insight and inspiration. I'm your host, Allison Chef. My guest today is Lair Torrent. Lair is a clinically trained and licensed marriage and family therapist and a mindfulness-based relationship therapist. He is a Daily Om best-selling author and has been a contributing columnist at Inc.com. His work has been featured on NPR, Rolling Stone, and in the New York Times. Lair is also the author of the new book, The Practice of Love, Break All Patterns, Rebuild Trust, and Create a Connection That Lasts. Lair, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. Uh, so l- tell us a little bit about your background as a performer and how that inspired and informed your career as a therapist. Sure. So I was actually a hockey player and I was a goalie and I sort of gotten tired of getting hit with pucks. And I one day came home, uh, sold my hockey equipment and got some headshots, some terrible headshots and moved to New York. Um, and uh, was going to become an actor. Was willing to do whatever it took. Living in a you know tiny uh, apartment on the Upper East Side, I got really lucky. I got a apartment on Sixty First and First in New York for five hundred dollars a month, and I got a bartending job. And I went to a. Uh, um, it was one of those they used to do them where they would invite agents to you know monologue nights or whatever it was. And Charles Bodner who many people know in the business. He's such a great guy, awesome dude, still a very good friend. Um, he found me there and signed me to Peter Strain. Like I was probably in New York eight months and wow. no formal training whatsoever. Um, but somehow they saw something and then sent me out for pilot season. That was kind of my career at that point. And, you know, it was kind of a hit or miss career. And, you know, I did all the standard things that we did back then, did all the soaps and did indie films and off-Broadway plays. and um, But uh, yeah, so that was kind of my career until one day I was sitting on the set of Law and & Order and I had just done a pilot for ABC and was feeling pretty good about myself and uh, almost audibly in my ear, um, as crazy as it sounds, it sort of said, this thing said, you're kind of doing this for all the wrong reasons. This mm. is stroke and you need to go and do this other thing. And I, it was being a th- becoming a therapist. I, someone told me, go look on your bookshelf and see how many books are there on acting, see how many books are there on therapy or the brain or how humans work. There's about four books on acting, about 64 books on the brain and <laughs> work with humans and therapy and personal growth and all of that. And so I was like, oh man, I guess I got to make a big shift. And so from that point on, it was it was, I was, you know, it wasn't a, I didn't turn on a dime necessarily, but it was a, it was a mm-hmm. little turn into, into becoming a therapist. And, you know, I, the way that my, my acting career, I guess, if you could call it that, uh, being a performer helps me as a therapist is first and foremost, it helps me to understand what my clients, my clients who are performers, what they're going through. And I cannot tell you how many, um, performer clients that I have, and there've been many over the years have turned to me at one point and said, I'm just so glad you understand why this is hard for me. Um, my last therapist tried to understand why this thing that I'm doing in my acting career, whether it's my relationship with my agent or uh, my relationship to you know my auditions or why I'm not working enough or uh, the people at work, you understand it because you've been there. 
Um, and so that really did help me with some of those people. Amazing. I had a therapist once tell me that I should just go get a job at Whole Foods. <laughs> And that would solve all my problems. And I was like, I don't think you understand. <laughs> you, don't under, you don't know why that's not an option for me. Right. <laughs> I know from the outside because you're not a carny like me. Right. <laughs> that seems viable, but it's not. But it's and not. Really understand but my clients never have to explain that to me. Right. Get no, you're not going to do that. So let's find another way. Right. The other thing that helped as being a, being a performer um, as we all know, A plus B does not equal C. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you do A and B, you're not necessarily going to get C. Yeah, um, it was revelatory for me when I stepped out into the real world, and they said, "Oh, if you you know you go to this school and you do this thing, you're going to get this license, and you can probably start this business." That was great, but the hard work of all of that didn't seem that hard in comparison to what I'd already been through. Right, the right, grind, when right. no one else is looking. Yeah, I think that's something that a lot of people are realizing in, you know, in having to make transitions just during the pan- pandemic that like, we work so hard as artists. <laughs> and like, sometimes in, in the other world, it things are a little simpler. <laughs> Honestly, much, much yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's yeah. a little surprising. You're like, wait, that was just, that was too easy. Something must be wrong. <laughs> it's easy. You know, you're so used to pushing that rock up the hill always. Yeah. And, you know, oh, A plus B does equal C. Oh, my goodness. There is some sort of normalcy in the universe. Right. (laughs) So you're primarily a relationship therapist, but you've done a lot of work with artists and their relationship to their work and also in helping them transition into other careers. So can you tell us a little bit about that? Sure. I mean, I say I'm a relationship therapist and people think, oh, couples. And and that's right. Um, And I just wrote a book about it. But um you know, we are all in relationship to everything all of the time. And um, uh, we are in relationship to ourselves. Uh, We are in relationship to other people, both romantic and otherwise. And we have a significant and profound relationship to our work. And I think that's especially true when you're a performer, right? Mm -hmm. It's not, um, it's not what you do. It's part of who you are. It's how you call yourself. And so when uh, people are uh, struggling in their career as, as an artist or as a performer, it's, they're really struggling with a big aspect of themselves. Um, and, and, and so the, 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 the practices that I offered couples seem to dovetail nicely into um, people in their relationship to their work. I first discovered this when someone asked me to, if, I, if I did corporate speaking, and I, of course, lied and said yes, because I knew what corporations were willing to pay to have someone come in and talk. And, I wanted to do that. <laughs> and so I took my five practices of mindfulness, parts of self narrative choosing and uh, personal responsibility. And I, and I, I noticed that they fit perfectly into what we do for a living. Mm-hmm. And um, so when I'm working with uh, people in their relationship to their work, truly, whether they're performers or not, but sp- but, but all, but certainly when you're a performer, I want them to look at themselves and what they do quite mindfully to become very aware of their thoughts and their feelings and the aspect of themselves that's showing up to the difficult places, right? Because mm-hmm. we are not the single organisms we see staring back at us in the mirror. We are the many vestiges of ourselves. And if your inner critic is coming to the table, if you're, um, if your wounded parts are coming to the table at, at the, at the, at, at, in the audition room, 
that's not going to play well for you. Okay. Right. And can I give you a little story? Go for it. Sure. So um, not going to name names, but I get this, uh, obviously I get this, I get this referral from a client of mine who is a performer and I didn't really look at the name and nor would I have noticed who this person was, but the camera opened up because it was a remote um, session and I immediately recognized who the person was, but they were looking for um, uh, professional help. And I just got done watching this person the night before on, on, on my favorite show. And I also knew that this person also had many awards. And I said to them, I said, I don't know what you're doing calling me uh, for professional help. I'm pretty sure you're doing okay. And, you know, we had a collective laugh. And as it turns out, this person was, had been sent to a meeting um, with a couple of producers, big name, really big producers uh, in, in the business. And it didn't go well. And hmm. I said, okay, well, tell me what happened. He said, well, you know, they asked me what I was doing next and I couldn't really find it. I stumbled, I fumbled, um, I got nervous, I started to sweat. Pretty soon I noticed their disinterest and before I knew it, the lunch was over and it was done. Hmm. And I choked. And I said, okay. I said, who shows up there? Who showed up to the meeting? And this person says, I don't know what you're talking about. And I said, okay, well, tell me about your first auditions in New York. And they're like, well, they were terrible. It was awful. Mm -hmm. They couldn't book anything. I said, well, what happened? Because I know you're, I know you're trained. I know you went to conservatory. I know you, you know, you know what you're doing. So, well, one day I just realized that I'm never going to be Robert De Niro. I'm never going to be Meryl Streep. And I needed to show up as I am, the, the performer that I am. And suddenly I could walk in that door differently. I said, who walked in before? He goes, I don't know the, you know, I said, well, how did it feel? He said, well, I was slumped shouldered, sort of apologizing for being in the room, kicking the dirt, looking down, not really taking up any room. I said, who was the guy who walked in afterwards? He said, it was the consummate professional. He said, right. I said, so who walked in to that meeting with those producers? And he goes, oh, hmm. slumped shouldered kid kicking the dirt, apologizing for being in the room. I said, exactly. So he didn't choke parts matter and who mm -hmm. walks into the room matters. And so when I'm walking, when I'm working with my clients who are performers, I, in there struggling, I said, okay, well, who's walking into that room and how are you walking into that? What part of self comes to the table? Because if it's a wounded kid, part of you, if it's a protective side of you, if it's your inner critic, it's not going to go well. And so finding that aspect of self is really, really important. And also what's the story? That's the, that's the third practice the narrative. What story are you telling about yourself? Because our thoughts become feelings, become our experiences. And, and if you don't believe in yourself and you're telling a not great story about yourself or the person across the table, it's probably not going to go well. And so in a nutshell, this is how some of my work with couples, oddly enough, and relationships mm -hmm. dovetail into helping my performers. Fantastic. So uh, you, have, you have this fantastic book called The Practice of Love, where you lay out five practices or tools for making relationships work. Um, can you tell us can you just walk us through those five practices and how they apply to artists? Sure. I did a little bit of that already. So you did. Yes. <laughs> noticing the, noticing what, like getting to know what parts of you are showing up to your, to the business, um, mm -hmm. to all the relationships in your business and, and certainly to your auditions and, um, to, uh, uh, to the work that you're doing, know what aspect of self that is and know what the narrative is. What's the story you're telling about yourself and the people you're working with, the, the, the work that you're doing again, because those thoughts become feelings, become your belief systems. 
in the fourth practice is choosing. And um, in, in love relationships, it's, it means learning how to love the person you're, you, you're, you're with the way they need to be loved. Hmm. And this, in working with um, artists, it's choosing yourself, right? Because so very often we leave it all on the, on the, on the, on the, on the field. We give everything to um, the business. And often when I find people who are really struggling to do well in the business and their, their careers are not thriving, they're giving, they're giving, they're giving, they're giving. And it, it's antithetical to them that they need to start giving back to themselves. They need hmm. to figure out who they are and to be more nurturing to self and just maybe even step away a little bit and not give everything. They've, they've almost have a, an unhealthy attachment, if you will, to, to the business. Mm-hmm. And so that's the fourth practice. The fifth practice is personal responsibility. And that is none of these other practices exist. They don't get done if you don't take responsibility for your mindfulness, for looking at the parts of you that show up, for knowing the narrative and, and if it's a toxic one or not a, not a very good one. And are you taking care of yourself? Are you choosing you? And if you don't take responsibility for all of those, they, they, they kind of go off the rails. Interesting. So going back to the choosing, I have a question. Um, (laughs) What is the fine line? And I I feel like this is something that's a challenge for everybody right now. Um, Because the the term self-love, self-care keeps getting tossed around. And that has a very wide definition. You know, you ask Amazon and they say, that means you need to buy 10 bottles of wine from our site and this eye pillow. And... (laughs) And pamper yourself. And then, you know, you ask a therapist and they're like, you, you, you need to choose you. You need to take care of you. Um, and so what is that, that line between self, I guess, maybe defining self-care and self-love and then being a narcissist? <laughs> well, narcissism is very different. <laughs> Because I feel like those that, that, that maybe some, a self-involved person could hear self, choose yourself, choose, you know, and just take that and run with it. <laughs> you know, and I think you have to, well, that's where mindfulness comes in, right? When you're mm-hmm. paying attention and you're like, yeah, I've been navel gazing for a long time and I've been very self-involved for a very long time. And so, you know, I, I ask people to find balance, Mm-hmm. Right? Where do look at your? I look at my life and I go. There's the mental, emotional, spiritual, physical buckets at, at minimum. Professional buckets. Those are my buckets. Within those buckets are things like my kids, my wife, spending time with them, not mm-hmm. just on my career. Because, you know, I just launched a book. Uh, you can get really self-important. Hey, look at me. They're asking me to come do these interviews and speak and blah blah blah. If I do too much of that and just focus on that, I feel the imbalance in my body. Mm-hmm. I know I'm, I'm not happy. I'm kind of crunchy on the inside. I don't know if anybody else has that experience, but I think they probably do. Right. So paying attention to your thoughts and to your feelings, using that mindfulness skill to look at yourself and say, you know, am I out of balance? So many performers are out of balance. I think the business calls for it. It begs yeah. for us to, to be out of balance and to give everything to it. And so often I used to have this funny little thing that would happen to me all the time as a performer. I would be going, going, going and trying, trying, trying and pushing that rock up the hill and not a lot was happening. And then I would choose to go on vacation mm. and lo and behold, Charles would be calling me. Mm-hmm. Where are you? What are you doing? And it was almost <laughs> like the energy between me and the business knew that I had mm-hmm. sort of let go a little bit. Yeah. Uh, 
So I don't know if that answers your question necessarily, but I think, you know, if you've been navel gazing too much and if you're, you know, it's, you have to be able to, you have to know that the question's there. Am I too self-involved? And mm-hmm. if you're asking the question, then you're not a narcissist. Huh, interesting. That's a good way of putting it. <laughs> so I, I, with everything going on in the world right now, um, a lot of artists are in despair. Our world is in a state of chaos. Mm-hmm. Um, our industry is unstable. Our career choices are unstable. And I think a lot of people are, A, depressed, but B, also languishing. That's like the, the word that's getting tossed about now. Um, so I wonder if you could first just talk about languishing in general and then um, your, your your thoughts on like coping and dealing with that as an artist. Well, you know, when this hit, everything we I, I, everything was paused, right? That's mm-hmm. that and I think about those people who got their first Broadway show. You know, I just think, yeah. oh, you know, how they they just got their first Broadway show and then COVID hits. I feel so bad for those folks. Um, and so there's going to be. I mean, that that's hard. There are lots of things in the in this business that are hard that we have to learn to cope with. There's a word we use it in the East and in the West. But in the East, the word acceptance means some some different things hmm. than it does um, here. Here and in this business, when we accept something, it tends to mean surrender. Hmm. It tends to mean you're giving up. Mm-hmm. Um, acceptance from an Eastern perspective means that I'm accepting that this is what's true right now. And there are certain things that I can do and there are certain things that I can't do. Digging myself into a hole emotionally, mentally, spiritually over something that's absolutely out of our control um, is not at all helpful. I understand it. I get it. And I'm not saying don't have your feelings. Um, That person who got their first Broadway show and then had it canceled because of COVID, you get to have your feelings. Yeah. That person who has been in this career for this long and is now, you know, unsure, maybe you're, you know, towards the end of your career anyway, or it's that that point where you're trying to make a decision and then COVID comes and perhaps makes it a little more clear what what maybe you need to do or makes things a little more uh, clear about the path ahead. Um, learning to accept that this is what this is for right now. And what are the things we can do to deal with it? And that's going to be, that's going to go person to person mm-hmm. if you want to continue. Mm-hmm. Um, if you don't want to continue, um, you know, obviously that <laughs> that's, that's uh, um, you, the, the, then, then these folks are like, well, what do I do next with the rest of my life? Who am I if I'm not this? And so these are big questions that come up that I, I'm not sure I'm going to be able to answer in this podcast. Um, and I'm not sure I've answered your question in totality, but that's, that's kind of <laughs> how I, how I feel about it. Yeah. Um, well, can you just, just, if, if you had to describe what languishing was, could you describe that? Well, languishing for a lot of my clients is, has been, um, the, just the lack of just not knowing what's going to happen next. Is it going to come back? When is it going to come back? Um, what do I, how do I get myself back in audition shape? Um, what do I do to do that? You know, not wanting to dance online or to perform, you know, all of that, it seems to be the, the languishing and, and there has been some depression around that. And then you can certainly understand it, but yeah. um, what I do is I try to normalize the feelings, help them process those feelings uh, around the separation and um, 
the inability to do the thing that that that, that kind of makes their heart sink. That's tough. You get yeah. to have those feelings, but there does need to be some acceptance that there's there are certain things that are just out of our control. It's it's like when someone um, blows out their knee, you know, there needs to be a grieving period around that. Yeah. They blow out their knee and maybe they can't perform anymore. Um, that's akin now. So we're sort of experiencing that in a sort of a broad brush stroke with so many people who are like, I don't know if I'm going to get to do this again because it's decimated our our our, our profession. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's not a great answer, but it's the answer. <laughs> we have to find some acceptance around what is. Right, right. Um, anything else you want to add or any any advice you have for people out there that are struggling right now? Yeah, get a practice around your thoughts and feelings. You know, get yourself a good therapist who understands what it is that you're going through. Talk to other people. Um, you know, I think there should be for, for performers who are dealing with, with COVID and, and wondering whether it's going to come back, there probably should be some support groups and people talking to each other about what's going on. There's nothing quite like normalization. Um, so I don't feel, they don't feel like they're alone on, you know, planet, my career's just ended. Right. Not it's necessarily what's happening, but you know, that's what it feels like to a lot of these folks who are, who are languishing. Yeah. Uh, again, acceptance of what is right now, that everything is transient, not everything. This will, this will shift, this will change. Now, what it's going to look like, we don't know. The other thing you can do is be as prepared as you can possibly be for when things do open up. And again, that's probably not news, but you know, how do you do that? And that's going to be a right. individual, but then a spiritual practice too. And I don't mean necessarily mean God, um, whatever that means to you, when you can touch into something that's a little bit bigger than yourself, bigger than, bigger than, than, than this profession, mm -hmm. um, we can find meaning and finding meaning, I think is so important for so, for, for so many things in our lives. Right. Um, obviously life can be hard and I think we're creatures that are in search of meaning and it's when we don't find that meaning for big things like this, that we continue to languish, that we continue to sort of be victimized by this thing. But when we can right. assign a meaning, like, this is what I got from that. I wouldn't wish it on my worst enemy, but not sure I would totally trade everything that I got from it. This is how I, this is where I can put it on the mantle of my life and, and give it that meaning. Then suddenly it becomes something else, if that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Being part of something bigger than yourself is always mm -hmm. very mm -hmm. important. <laughs> Also well, helps with that whole narcissism a, thing. <laughs> right. well, you know, it's a, when I watch when I watch my people perform, and I have, mm -hmm. and you can see these performers that that really touch into something bigger than. And I talk about this in the book. I actually talk about performing in the book in this way. Um, when you see these performers perform, they are touching into something bigger. For me, it's it's almost it's almost spiritual to watch these people who do their art for a living. It's extraordinary. Absolutely, yes. And so it's just yes. right there. And so we feel like COVID and this thing is taking that away from us. Sure. The expression of that on the stage, perhaps that's gone for now. Um, and, you know, we're obviously hoping it comes back. But that feeling of connection to something larger, that's the thing that can help us surmount this. And that's a practice. That's an everyday practice. For me, I'm lucky. I, get, I live in Charleston, South Carolina now, and I live right next to this big reserve. I can walk across the street and go walk in the woods every day. And when I'm out there, I drop into my body and I can, I commune with something larger than myself. And that 
that sustains me through so many of the difficulties in life. And so that's my practice. And for other people, it could be exercise. It could be finding a way to dance. It could be finding a way to perform. Um, but it doesn't have to be that. It can be meditation. It can be yoga. It could be anything that helps you touch into that energy that lives within your body, that makes you understand that there is something bigger going on here, perhaps. And that when we can find that, then we can transcend these, transcend so many of these hardships. Yeah. Finding your authentic self and figuring out how to utilize it for me has been the, <laughs> it's still a work in progress, but <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, scaffolding up all over me too. Yeah. Awesome. Lair, thank you so much for being here today and for sharing your insight and your wisdom. It's so appreciated. Thanks for having me. That's our show for today. Thanks for listening. And thanks to my guest, Lair Torrent. For more information on the resources we discussed, head on over to our website, anxietyandtheartist.com. If you liked what you heard, please tell a friend. Until next time, be healthy and stay creative. Anxiety and the Artist is produced by Groster Productions and recorded at Homestead Studios. Sound editing and engineering is by Bosco Chef. Our marketing guru is Ben Nissen. Our theme song was composed by Bosco Chef. This podcast represents the opinions of Allison Chef and her guests. The content here should not be taken as medical advice. The content here is for informational purposes only. And because each person is so unique, please consult your healthcare professional for any medical questions.